What time is it? What time is it? Time is it? Time is it? Time is it? HF units. GHQ calling all HF units. Saucer hovering vicinity White House and Capitol. Attention all units. Saucer now landing vicinity White House. Attention all units. Sounds like they're jamming us. Everything you know about UFOs is changing. Welcome to the ABI 1.0 Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Thompson. This is part two of our episode, The Forbidden Planet, and this has to do with the beings involved. There are many people who claim that they have had personal experiences with extraterrestrial life and that several species of aliens routinely visit Earth. Some believe that these beings have been coming to our planet for thousands of years, while others think that they have only recently discovered our little space rock in the vast expanse of the universe. According to these theories, some of the alien species are simply returning to their ancient homeworld, Earth. They may be studying our planet and its inhabitants to gain insight into their own origins, or they could simply be taking a little vacation from the rigors of deep space exploration. Of course, these assertions are met with skepticism and derision from many in the scientific community, but that doesn't stop the believers from sharing their stories and holding on to the hope that we're not alone in the universe. And who knows, maybe these aliens are just misunderstood. Perhaps they don't want to destroy us or enslave us or perform medical experiments on us. Maybe they just want to simply say hello and share a cup of space coffee, if that's any good. In any case, it's important to keep an open mind and not dismiss things outright, especially when it comes to mysteries of the universe. Imagine if, if we got an intergalactic email from, you know, superioralienscivilization.org. Say, hey, we're going we're gonna to show up in 30 years. 
would we just be like, oh, well, let's get back to watching our reality TV shows and worry about that when they get here? No, we would seriously freak out. The Earth has been a detectably technological world for about a hundred years. We've been broadcasting signals, and yet that apparently hasn't attracted anyone's attention. It's pretty noteworthy that none of them has shown any interest when they could have turned Earth into a parking lot if they wanted, right? Frankly, if they're that intelligent, they're not going to be very interested in us. So maybe that's why they haven't bothered to, to make contact. And if the alien is that advanced, we're probably not very interesting to it. It's a little bit like, you know, wandering around outside and seeing ants on the sidewalk. I bet they would notice if they were fire ants. Area 51, right? Area 51. You knew then, and you did nothing. Sir, regardless of what you may have read in the tabloids, there have never been any spacecraft recovered by our government. Take my word for it. There's no Area 51. <laughs> There's no recovered spaceship. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President. That's not entirely accurate. For as long as Hollywood and the media have been portraying extraterrestrials on the big and small screens, they've been painting them as a possible menace. From classic sci-fi movies like The War of the Worlds and The Day the Earth Stood Still, to modern blockbusters like Independence Day and War of the Worlds, aliens have always been portrayed as coming to Earth to destroy us all. Why are, why are aliens always the bad guys? It's like Hollywood thinks we should be afraid of them. Maybe it's because they're so different from us. They have green skin, tentacles, and weird-looking eyes. And let's not forget about those creepy probing experiments that they do. In Independence Day, the aliens come to Earth with giant spacecraft and blast our cities with destructive laser beams. And just when we think we've won, one of them comes back for revenge and Independence Day resurgence. And who could forget War of the Worlds? where aliens come to Earth in their giant tripods and try to take over the planet. It's like they have something against us or something. Don't get me wrong, there are a few good aliens out there like E.T. and ALF. They just want to phone home and eat cats, respectively, but they're the exception, not the rule. Overall, Hollywood and the media have conditioned us to believe that aliens are going to come to Earth and cause chaos, but maybe we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. It may be a species-eat-species species universe out there, after all. Greetings, Earthlings. I am Kang. Do not be frightened. We mean you no harm. You, you speak English. I am actually speaking Rigelian. By an astonishing coincidence, both of our languages are exactly the same. Well, what are you going to do with this man? Kodos and I are taking you to Rigel 4, a world of infinite delights to tantalize your senses and challenge your intellectual limitations. Look, I know that to you we Simpsons are a lower order of life. We face that prejudice every day of our lives. But we are happy on our little planet. We throw ourselves on your mercy. Please return us to... Dinner time. Hey, get a load of that spread. Here you go, Earthlings. Take all you want, but eat all you take. Well, thank you very much, mister. To pronounce it correctly, I would have to pull out your tongue. Ooh.
fried shrimp, sloppy joes. Mother pork chops. Look, Homer, radish rosettes. These are hard to make. They're a very advanced race. Palmer things eat. Grow large with food. There's something not quite right about this. Girl's right. Let's get some applesauce out here for these pork chops. What are you looking at, buddy? Your wife is quite a dish. Ooh, thanks. Dinner time. Hey, how come I never see you guys eat? Oh, uh, we wouldn't want to spoil our appetite for the great feast when we land on Rigel 4. Ooh, a feast. Will we be invited? Oh, you'll be at the feast. I have a feeling you'll be the guests of honor. <laughs> <laughs> There was the classic 1962 Twilight Zone episode to serve man, where a group of helpful aliens help mankind right onto the dinner table. It's a cookbook. Don't ever season the meat before you're ready to put it in the pan. Uh, that will cause the juices to leach, and you don't want that. You don't want any oozing juices. According to some, there are several different species of extraterrestrial beings who visit Earth on a regular basis. So who are these supposed visitors from outer space? Well, here's a few examples. The Greys, perhaps the most well-known of all the supposed alien species. The Greys are said to have gray skin, large black eyes, and spindly frames. Some claim they have been abducting humans for years in order to conduct experiments on them. The Reptilians. These ET beings are said to have reptilian features such as scales and slit pupils. Some theorists believe they are responsible for many of the world's conflicts and power struggles, controlling human leaders and instigating wars. And they're the ones most likely to eat you. The Nordics, described as tall and beautiful with blonde hair and blue eyes, the Nordics are said to be very friendly and have benevolent intentions towards humanity. Of course, these are just a few of the examples of the many ET species that have been purported to visit Earth. So what's the truth about the extraterrestrial experience? Well, that's what we're here to find out. We promise to investigate each and every one of these species of aliens in order to determine the truth of their existence and reveal whatever truths we can find. We'll discuss our possible newfound neighbors in this celestial cul-de-sac when I return after the break. But first, here's Andrew Santino's take on what is an alien. And I'm watching too much, like, uh, documentary TV when I got high with my buddy. We were watching this thing uh, about, you know, other life forms on other planets. And he was like, I don't believe in any of that shit. I was like, you're an alien. How do you think, uh, you think you're not an alien? We're aliens to something else. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, think about this. When the aliens come down, and they will, <laughs> and they strip you naked, and they're examining your body, and they're like, what is that? What is that? You're like, what? This? Yeah, what is that? And you're like, oh, that's just my old food pipe. <laughs> what? My old food pipe. That's how I used to eat food out of there. Now I eat it out of here. When? I was in an embryonic sack of fluid inside of another human being for nine months. I'm a fucking alien. Oh my God, I'm a fucking alien. <laughs> 
So I'm back here in Kentucky at the Wild Turkey Distillery, and I want to let you in on something. The folks here and I have created a new small batch burger, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch. Real bourbon, no apologies. Are you feeling sluggish and slow like a turtle in a shell? You don't have to drag your feet anymore with the help of Token Turtle CBD in Aranda's Pass, Texas. Their store offers a wide range of CBD options including flour, pre-rolls, edibles, relief rubs, vapes, and more to help you move and groove with ease. And the best part? CBD has been known to help with skin issues, inhibit cancer cell growth, stress, anxiety, PTSD, epilepsy, and even lower your A1C. So say goodbye to sluggishness and hello to a new zest for life. Visit Token Turtle CBD at 361 South Commercial Street, Suite F, or check out their website at shoptokenturtles.com to learn more. You can even give him a call at 361-434-0063 if you just have any questions or just want to chat with the friendly staff. So why not come out of your shell and see what all the fuss is about? Token Turtle CBD is available seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., so there's always time to give them a try. Plus, who knows? Maybe you'll discover your inner Zen turtle. At A, B, I, 1.0 podcast, we really like to hear from our listeners. Email or voicemail. Also check out our Facebook page, Surf's Up, Got a Boogie. Trap door opened up, little star steps come down, little pink bald-headed guy stuck his head out. Now, I'd seen that movie, Close to Encounters. I just walked on over there, big as I, and looked up in there, and there he was. There who was? Well, you know. What? No, who? I saw Elvis in a UFO, sitting out with Howard Hughes. We're going to start off our investigation with the Zeta reticulans, a species of aliens commonly referred to as the gray aliens. Despite their prevalence in pop culture, we're going to take an evidence-based approach to examine whether they truly exist and what, if any, evidence supports their existence. Though evidence could be black or white, <laughs> there's also a big gray area, if you catch my drift. Quick, when I ask what an alien looks like, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Is it a deadly endoparasitoid with two sets of sharp teeth? Or perhaps a small green bipedal creature with large eyes? 
Regardless of whatever you just pictured, you've seen these gray alien extraterrestrials somewhere before. Called Zeta Reticulans, Roswell Grays, or simply Grays, these extraterrestrials are defined by their humanoid forms, exaggerated long limbs, large black eyes, small noses, thin mouths, and of course, gray skin or gray clothing. There are mostly two types of grays, the smaller drone or lackey type and the more powerful and intelligent tall grays. Grays are some of pop culture's most recognizable representations of extraterrestrial life. But where did this depiction of extraterrestrials come from? And why are grays the ones mostly responsible for all the abductions? 1947 was quite the year for alien activity. That year, U.S. pilot Kenneth Arnold observed nine objects he said moved like a saucer being thrown across water. A newspaper reporter misunderstood and published Arnold's description as a flying saucer. As news of the encounter and the term spread, so many sightings were reported that the Air Force opened an investigation. And July 8th is an infamous day in alien encounter history, the Roswell Incident. Following a press release from the official U.S. Army Air Force, the Associated Press reported to radio shows and newspapers that the remains of a flying disc had been found outside Roswell, New Mexico. The U.S. military quickly retracted its initial report in a statement from the Roswell Army Airfield, claiming the object was a weather balloon. As unidentified aerial phenomenon sightings increased in the 40s and 50s, so did the diversity and frequency of aliens in science fiction texts. The 1950 movie The Flying Saucer capitalized on the fascination with spacecraft. Other movies like The Day the Earth Stood Still portray aliens as so humanoid they appear to be humans. Their technology and status as extraterrestrials is what marks them as alien. Technology in the real world was changing as well. The first artificial Earth satellite launched on October 4, 1957. That same year, the gray alien legacy begins to appear in reports. Brazilian farmer Antonio Villas-Boas claimed he saw a red star that grew brighter as it approached him in the sky. He testified that short beings from outer space wearing gray suits took him to the spacecraft and performed physical and sexual experiments on him. Gray abductions did become a global sensation four years later in New Hampshire on September 19, 1961. As Barney and Betty Hill were driving down a lone stretch of dark road on Highway 3 in the White Mountains, Betty noticed strange lights in the sky that she initially mistook for a falling star until it moved upward and increased in intensity. The couple stopped the car to look at the lights and walk their dog. While Barney was with the dog, Betty looked at the lights through binoculars, and what she saw shocked them both. Betty would later describe a saucer-shaped craft with flashing multicolored lights moving jerkily through the sky. The duo jumped in their car again to pursue the phenomenon. It suddenly came closer, much closer, hovering over them in the middle of the highway. Barney emerged, gun and binoculars in hand. The pancake-like craft had a window, and Barney could see at least half a dozen figures inside. They began to emerge. Gray in color, human-like but smaller in stature and with massive eyes, the creatures were accompanied by a buzzing sound. Barney and Betty entered a trance state. When they returned to consciousness, seated in the car two hours later, 56 kilometers away, neither could remember where they had been or what had happened. They concluded they had been abducted by aliens. Their experience became the first widely publicized alien abduction. 
The next morning, a few unusual things seemed to confirm their suspicion. Their watches were stopped, a pink powdery substance stained Betty's dress, the binocular straps were broken, and circular indents adorned the trunk of their car. Days later, Betty would report vivid dreams that filled in the details of their lost time. In the dreams, the couple was taken aboard the craft, physically examined in detail, and questioned telepathically by the extraterrestrials. It wasn't until three years later that they took their story public, first to a UFO study group, and then a month later to seek the help of a hypnotherapist. He concluded that their experience was a result of Betty sharing her dreams, not an actual alien abduction. The Hills eventually reported the incident to the U.S. Air Force, who basically ignored it. The National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, however, found the story plausible. Following Via Boas and the Hills reports, human extraterrestrial encounters took on a rather specific formula. A person is taken, usually against their will, onto an alien craft where they experience a traumatic physical examination, which includes the reproductive system, in what would come to be known as probing. She said, don't give me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. Years later, after the event, after the passing of her husband, Barney, Betty Hill reiterated her story and stood by her account. 1961, Barney and I'm driving home from Montreal, saw a strange light in the sky, which changed direction, came in, started following us. In an area known as Indian Head, it came out over the highway, stopped in midair, and Barney got out with the binoculars in an attempt to identify this craft. You know the old-fashioned straw hats that men used to wear, the flat crown and brim? That's what it was shaped like. And then along one side, it had a big, big picture window, and it was had uh, dividers in it. And as he's looking up at it, and he could see people standing in the windows looking down at him, and the craft began to descend, and he had the feeling they were trying to kidnap him. He ran back to the car. We were speeding down the highway to avoid capture, and then later they were standing in the middle of the road blocking our way. Talk to me about the features in here and what you remember. I mean, look at this one's face in particular. Tell me yeah. what we see I mean, there. You can see they're very human appearing. Yeah. Only here, you know, the eyes are wider spaced than ours. Okay. See? Right. The nose is smaller and yeah. a thin slit for a mouth. No hair, no protruding part of the ear. We were taken on board and they were, we were told to relax. No harm was going to come to us. And we did. And they did some testing of both Barney and me and uh, showed me the star map of where they were from. There it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is the map you drew. Yep. Now, what, what, this is amazing because how much did you know about astronomy? Not a thing. About six weeks later, Barney and I had gone out in the evening. And when we came home on the kitchen table, was a pile of dried leaves, which wasn't there when we left. And when I went to clean up the pile of dried leaves, there was my blue earrings I was wearing that night. 
So the experience itself happened in 1961, but it was not known until a Boston newspaper reporter found out about it. And it ran for five days on the front pages of the Boston newspaper. I went on TV. I was questioned by F. Lee Bailey. And then I sat down and had lie detector testing in front of the whole country. And I had very, very high ratings for honesty and truthfulness. Just in case you were wondering, the precise number of alleged abductees is uncertain. One of the earliest studies of abductions found 1,700 claimants, while contested surveys argued that 5 to 6% of the general population might have been abducted. And it seems abductees of all ages and genders sometimes report being subjected to a child presentation. As its name implies, the child presentation involves the abduction claimant being shown a child. Often the children appear to be neither human nor the same species as the abductors. Instead, the child will almost share the characteristics of both species. These children are labeled by experiencers as hybrids between humans and their abductors, usually greys. called the weekend so Saturday and Sundays those are the humans favorite days why what did they do on those days nothing well figures mm. what do they do after the weekend they go to work on Monday humans hate Mondays oh. we should invade on the weekend invade on a Monday yeah but they already hate Mondays it's extra mean yes exactly garden party reminisce with my old friend a chance to share old memories playing songs again when I got to the garden party they all knew my name no one recognized me I didn't look the same but it's all right now Picture this, the year is 2030 and humans have finally made contact with numerous extraterrestrial species known to have visited Earth in an effort to establish relationships and make communication easier humans decide to hold a block party of sorts where they can meet all their new alien friends. The humans meticulously create an invite list, inviting the friendly greys and nordics and even the shapeshifters who were known to be a little reserved. However, despite the warnings, the humans also decided to invite the reptilian humanoid or reptoids, 
hoping to make a good impression and create mutual understanding. As the party goes on and the guests arrive, the humans are overjoyed to finally meet their extraterrestrial visitors in person. The Nordics are charming and friendly as expected, and the Greys are fascinating with their otherworldly technology. Even the shapeshifters seem to be opening up as the night goes on, participating in human games and dancing to the latest music. However, as the night begins to wind down, the humans start to worry. The reptoids have been keeping to themselves all night, and there are rumors that they may have a sinister agenda. Suddenly, there's a rustling in the bushes, and a scream pierces the night. The humans spin around just in time to see one of their neighbors being dragged off by a group of rampaging reptoids. I'm bigger than you, I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly! Where do the reptilians that have reportedly been witnessed by humans for thousands of years come from? Some ancient astronaut theorists believe the answer can be found by looking back not thousands of years, but millions. Ottawa, Ontario, 1982. At the National Museum of Canada, paleontologist and curator of vertebrate fossils, Dale Russell, publishes a thought experiment. Based on the trend toward larger brain sizes and the upright posture of dinosaurs, he proposes a theory about what one species of dinosaur would have evolved into if it had survived the mass extinction 65 million years ago. What he did is take the dinosaur known as Truodon, and he noticed the morphological changes in the skeletal structure of the dinosaur, and based on over time where it was going, they extrapolated it out further. And strangely enough, or wonderfully enough, they actually came up with a model that resembled a humanoid reptilian being, which actually matched that of the reports that we were hearing now, as well as reports from ancient history. So for me, this was one of the most compelling pieces of information where science actually says it is possible. The dinos hadn't died out. This would have become what he called the dinosauroid, an upright standing semi-humanoid, semi-reptilian entity, what we might call a reptoid. He thought it might stand four to five feet high, weigh about 90 pounds, and have a fairly advanced brain. Now, did this entity ever come into existence? What if some of the dinosaurs didn't become extinct? What if they managed to survive the global extinction or presumed extinction 65 million years ago? And over time, some of them developed through natural selection and they grew smaller, they became more intelligent, they became more adept and adaptive and, and took on a, a humanoid form. We necessarily shouldn't think that the reptilians are extraterrestrials. Perhaps in some strange way, they're our forefathers, albeit from millions and millions of years in the past. Well, if the reptoids are related, or a, a uh, descendant of the dinosaurs, maybe it's a, possibly a matter of one good chew deserves another. After all, since chickens are related to the dinosaur, well, we've been consuming millions of them for years. Finger looking good. Well, if fingers are what you have. This is your opponent, Earthling. I have heard the 
All right. What do you want? I weary of the chase. Wait for me. I shall be merciful and quick. Dinosaur chicken nugget. Dinosaur chicken nugget. Dinosaur chicken nugget. He was a dinosaur chicken nugget. The Nordic aliens are rumored to visit Earth often, gracing us with their presence and imparting profound wisdom. Described as tall, slender beings with striking features, including long blonde hair and clear blue eyes, they are often considered the epitome of beauty and grace. Not get too excited, ladies and gentlemen. Insiders suggest that these beings may not be interested in us in the way we might hope. Some whispers claim that their visitations are merely attempts to fill the emptiness of their soulless existence by seeking out new thrills and experiences. In other words, they come here to Netflix and chill. Either the Nordic aliens may have more wholesome interests in humankind. They might be coming here for more scientific purposes, like studying us or gathering samples. Or they might genuinely be curious about our cultures, especially our strange obsession with reality TV shows and viral memes. But of course, we mustn't forget the conspiracy theorists who claim that the Nordics have had irreversibly intimate dealings with humans, leading to the birth of superhuman beings like Thor and other characters of mythology. All of these rumors and more circulate freely in the UFO community, but one thing is certain, the Nordic aliens have not come to Earth for the coffee, not when they have advanced coffee-making technology that could produce frothy lattes hotter than our planet's core. But who can resist the allure of our planet's simplicity and pleasures? Maybe the Nordics just want to experience the simple joys of life like a warm hug, heartfelt smile, or a perfectly grilled cheese sandwich. Whatever the reason behind their visits, the Nordic aliens' timeless beauty and grace are sure to keep the rumor mill spinning and the speculations running wild. After all, who wouldn't want to be abducted by an otherworldly hottie? Sydney, Australia, July 1992. Peter Curry awakes to find himself paralyzed and unable to talk, but fully conscious. He feels a weight pressing down on him, and as his eyes adjust to the darkness, he notices a woman with very strange features straddling his body. I got the shock of my life because right on top of me was this female, a blonde female. She was just milky white in colour. Her eyes were probably two, three times bigger than her human eyes. She had protruding cheekbones and a narrow face that narrowed down to a pointy chin. And on the side of the bed, on the corner of the bed, there was another female, an Asian-looking female. And then she 
the, the blonde female touches her stomach and points to the sky. The visitors then disappeared, but not without leaving behind proof that they were there. A single blonde hair. Curry took this piece of evidence to an independent genealogy lab where biochemist Horace Drew subjected the hair to DNA analysis. The results were not what he expected. It was very unusual because most people's hair is yellow or brown or black, and this was optically clear like nylon fishing line. There's nobody who has hair on Earth which is optically clear. Normally, a human hair only has one kind of DNA type. In the shaft above the hair, we got a very rare Chinese lineage, about 0.1%, 1% of ethnic Chinese. And then in the other part, we actually got blue-eyed, Celtic, light-skinned lineage. This shows authentically an unusual DNA, which is fairly rare, which Peter couldn't just have picked up in his bedroom or off the street. The Peter Curry hair sample yielded very unusual DNA results that just aren't easy to explain in normal, conventional human DNA sequences. You can't really keep dismissing it all as sort of fantasies of the mind or sexual fantasies. And uh, while it didn't absolutely prove that it was alien, because we're only dealing with one hair sample, it did nevertheless prove that we're dealing with something quite unusual. When we see DNA evidence in the hair, of something that doesn't match up with what we would expect to be. Old Gaelic DNA mixed with Chinese DNA in blonde hair. The storylines don't add up unless we start to invoke the idea of abduction and genetic interbreeding going back for many thousands of years all the way to the dawn of history. John Lear, a retired airline captain and former CIA pilot, had a deep fascination with investigating the presence of aliens on Earth. Despite some skepticism, Lear devoted his life to studying UFO sightings and evidence of extraterrestrial life. He made bold claims that the government is hiding evidence of alien existence from the public and that there's a massive conspiracy to keep the truth from us. Lear passed away in 2022, but his legacy lives on as he advocated for full disclosure of UFO sightings and extraterrestrial encounters. Here's an earlier interview with John Lear by host George Knapp, where he discusses alien presence. Always a pleasure to be here, George. Um, to begin with, uh, we have this concept of the people from other planets as little green men. Um, are they green from what you know? Uh, are they all the same or we got different kinds of them? George, there's at least 70 different species and probably more. But yes, uh, as odd as it sounds, there are little green men. That's not the ones we usually see, though. We see the little gray ones. They're about uh, four and a half feet tall. And we see the ones that uh, are called the Nordics. They're about seven feet tall, look like us, but they're invariably blonde hair and blue-eyed. They're one of the species that we have on ice. Uh, one of their crashes we recovered. Obviously, with different species, they have different motives. I mean, are there... Are there good aliens and bad well, aliens? Good aliens you know? and bad aliens and all kinds of ways and reasons for interacting with us. And what are some of the reasons? Why, why would they be here? Uh, genetic experiments, uh, uh, trying to uh, 
there, you know, there's a misconception here. People think that uh, our space brothers would bring us, uh, you know, good things and uh, teach us uh, how to get rid of all our diseases. And uh, you know, if you get to, if you stop and think about it, that may not be the best thing because if you uh, had a had a uh, society without any disease and everybody starts living 150 years, that creates a lot of problems. So uh, they would not meddle in that in that way. You believe uh, in part that the movies uh, E.T. Close Encounters of the Third Kind were not entirely just uh, the creative products of some Hollywood director, that maybe there's more to that. Why don't you explain? They were carefully um, guided by representatives from MJ-12, who is this organization that is in charge of the cover-up, in order to get us ready for the release of the information that there are indeed aliens. And uh, in both those movies, they used small little creatures and uh, in order to get us ready for this uh, release of information. Uh, to prepare us that the idea of benevolent aliens from outer space yeah, uh, are going to help us out. Unfortunately, uh, they're, not, they're not so benevolent. So they made a, probably one of the most disastrous mistakes when uh, E.T. was uh, put out. At that time was before we uh, discovered what I call the double cross uh, or the grand deception. And uh, they were trying to get us used to the benevolent little creatures, and, uh, but that isn't the case. shapeshifters or shadow people? Well, what if I told you they could be the work of aliens? Yeah, you heard that right. Some experts suggest that the advanced technology of extraterrestrial beings could be responsible for creating the illusion of these mysterious entities. Think about it. Have you ever seen a cloaking device in action? These military technologies can make objects disappear from our view, and maybe that's exactly what's happening with shapeshifters. Maybe they're just passing through our existence in a slightly different timeline, and we can catch glimpses of them through advanced alien technology. And then there's our brain. It's known to be highly susceptible to external stimuli. So what if aliens are altering our perceptions of reality using their advanced technology? Suddenly those shapeshifters and shadow people don't seem so far-fetched after all. So many reports of shadow encounters are associated with pulsating energy, glowing eyes, and electronic disturbances that researchers wonder if some shadow entities might actually be misunderstood technology. It's often discussed that powerful alien technology can influence human electronics and technology. This is definitely something that is reported with the shadow people experiences. There's also an interesting idea in which these extraterrestrials may be using some sort of cloaking device to hide themselves from our view. But since they may not quite understand the physiology of our eyes, it comes off more of like a shadow. So what we may be seeing is an imperfect type of alien technology. If there ever is a great galactic block party where humans get to meet all sorts of extraterrestrial life forms, it might be wise to keep an eye on them. And the silverware. Although interstellar species and life forms might be friendly and peaceful, we still don't know what kind of customs, traditions, and behaviors they practice. 
They could have very different ways of interacting and we could inadvertently misinterpret their manners and social cues. Moreover, some extraterrestrial life forms might have a unique set of senses, meaning that some of the things we take for granted, like objects or things we eat, might look or smell appealing to them, leading to unpredictable behavior. Do you hear that, reptoids? <laughs> Don't eat me, I'm grisly. Overall, the idea of humans meeting extraterrestrial visitors is tantalizing and exciting. It's a chance to expand our knowledge of the universe and learn about beings different from ourselves. However, we must stay always inquisitive, respectful, and open-minded to avoid misunderstandings that could hinder interspecies relationships, things like shooting at them. So let's imagine an invitation arrives and we are greeted by a kaleidoscope of colors and beings from different worlds. As we mingle and share stories about our cultures and histories, let's also appreciate that even though we might be different, we are still part of a vast and intricate cosmic puzzle. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I'm your host, Terry Thompson. This is the ABI 1.0 podcast, and uh, hey... I wonder if uh, reptoids eat clowns. You know they've been known to taste funny. <laughs> I hope they have a sense of humor. Otherwise, I'm toast. Or on toast. Ugh. See ya. So I ask them as they pull their rings towards the setting sun. Before you go, I'd like to know where you boys come from. Well, they opened up a star chart said right here where this exit. It's the biggest place in outer space. Planet known as Texas.